So you're saying we're here because of a map you two kids found in a cave, is that right? No. Yeah. Um. No, not a map, an invitation. From who? We call them engineers. Engineers? Do you mind um, telling us what they engineered? They engineered us. Hello and welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm feeling a little bit tired, perhaps uh, somewhat, well, hungover. Something you might not realize uh, happens when you get a famous podcast like this one. You get invited to a lot of parties and... Uh, uh, last night was no exception for me. Um, the parties can get a little bit wild, and uh, generally speaking, uh, there are certain uh, amber liquids consumed. Um, so, yeah, pretty uh, pretty important, quite banging the party was, and uh, I'm paying the consequences today. It was my mum's 75th birthday, um, so pretty exclusive, really just... Uh, family and friends allowed, actually. So, you know, you wouldn't be able to get in, probably. Not a slight against you, just not in, you know, the in crowd as I was. Um, but if you've ever partied with someone getting uh, that along in the years, uh, you'll know that they party like there's no tomorrow. And, and that's mainly because once you get to 75, um, it is possible there will be no tomorrow. Um, and you, uh, you're quite confronted with that. So why not knock back a few cocktails in celebration? So we're going to take it a little bit delicately today, uh, you know, take it a bit slow, try not to, uh, you know, solve all of life's problems in one half hour podcast, uh, and maybe have a bit of fun today. It's not the heaviest topic in the world, or at least not to me, although there are people out there who take it very seriously, I believe. Um, and I certainly don't want to undermine their perspective on things, um, but I do want to be honest about my feelings on the topic. So uh, we'll just go through it uh, as it comes, I guess. But yes, today we'll be talking about the stories we tell about aliens. And already I can hear your skepticism, perhaps. Is that what I detect? A bit of skepticism there? But what happens if I ask you the question, do you believe in aliens? Now, you may say yes or no. You might say maybe to that question. But one thing I'm pretty confident of is that you probably have a well-rehearsed opinion on this. And why is that, that you have a pre-canned answer to that question? And if you think back to school, you know, when you're a kid, you had pre-canned answers like that. Like if someone would ask you, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up, Timmy? You'd always know what the answer was. You know, for me, it was, I want to, I want to pick up the uh, horse shit at the racetrack. Um, not, not a typical response, but uh, that was what I wanted to do. It 
looked a lot more appealing from a distance than I would imagine it is close up. But yeah, another good example is, you know, do you believe in God or whatever? We all have an answer for that. Uh, maybe we give the measured response. Oh, I'm not, uh, I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic because I just don't know. Whatever yours is, you've probably said it before. You'll probably say it again. You might say it a hundred times in your lifetime. But why don't we have an answer to, do you believe in aliens? What is it about that question that's so pervasive that we feel we need to have a prepared response? And I, I don't know what it is either. I guess it's something that's like, you know, meaning of life stuff. You know, you look up at the stars when you're young and uh, wonder about the universe and think about the odds of alien life. And, you know, most people will say, well, uh, if, if space is infinite, if the universe is infinite, then there's a 100% chance that there's aliens somewhere out there, uh, some other form of life. Uh, others will say, uh, yeah, I believe there's aliens, but the, the likelihood they'll ever contact us are very low. And then, of course, you have the diehard alien believers who say, we're getting visited by aliens uh, every day. They're, they're living amongst us. And not just that one had a uh, some kind of apparatus up my bum last night and uh, you know, I was in their spaceship and, uh, you know, went to their home planet. And uh, what does it matter? Because we're living in a simulation anyway. And being a bit facetious there, I don't think it's crazy to believe in aliens or uh, alien contact. And certainly we've had a lot of theories put out in popular culture recently that make quite a lot of sense, especially if you don't want to believe the biblical story, whichever Bible or religious book you happen to subscribe to, uh, the ones that don't quite match up with science a lot of the time. Um, if you don't want to believe in those stories, then I guess the idea of humans being seeded by aliens or something like that is quite a logical one. So as I say, I don't mean to deride people who believe in aliens, but there is a very structured community of people who believe in these things, and there's a very rich and dense mythology around it. That's actually quite impressive. If you start looking into the alien conspiracy theory stuff, the disclosure movement or whatever you want to uh, call it, they're certainly not lacking in detail of, of what they believe. You know, I think um, the people who believe in this stuff have like a list of like 27 different alien races that have uh, interacted with the earth in some way. Um, and they know all the names of them and what planets they come from, what they look like. They all seem to look like some kind of animal for some reason, like there's a reptilian one, and then there's, I think there's a duck-like one, and then no, maybe not a duck-like one. Um, that would be weird, but um, whatever it is, they seem to all be very much, you know, 99% humanoid, which to me sort of indicates perhaps they are more likely to have come from a human being's imagination of ourselves. It's like, you know, when James Cameron thinks of aliens, he goes, well, how about they're bigger and they look exactly like humans and they're a little bit cat-like and they're blue. And you go, well, okay, yeah, you've combined some known elements, not that there's actually blue animals, but you have, you know, picked a color just sort of randomly, haven't you? Maybe because you just like everything to look blue in your movies, don't you, James Cameron? You fucking weirdo. But it's not just flying saucer enthusiasts. Uh, popular culture is rife with the alien 
mythology. Um, it's in pretty much every second movie these days. You know, even the comic book movies have gone into space now. You've got your Avengers Infinity War with Thanos the Space Titan coming down to destroy, well, actually not all of humanity in this case. They upped the stakes and he destroyed half of the entire universe. Spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen it. But yeah, there's been alien movies for a very, very long time. And I would say, just based on instinct, in increasing number over the years, um, it sort of goes in phases, doesn't it? You had your Independence Day and then there was a whole slew of clones of that. Uh, you know, you had E.T. back in the 80s. E.T., that was a that was a nice one, wasn't it? One of the nice aliens. It seems like it's very rare that they have nice aliens in these movies. It's usually all about global domination coming to grab our resources and kill us all off or whatever. I'm not sure if that's a reflection of how we view humanity. So if we could get into space, that's probably what we'd do or um, just a more entertaining scenario for a movie to deal with. Everybody liked E.T. though, and E.T. didn't kill anyone except, uh, well, maybe the pot plant. But that came back to life, didn't it? So not really a problem. But yeah, the um, aliens are in music videos. There's there's real sites, you know, in, in the US, I think mainly, where people go on alien tours and and buy alien artifacts and uh, uh, merchandise, stuff like that. You've got uh, talk show hosts like Jimmy Kimmel. Every time he has a goddamn president on, he asks him about the UFOs, and the president will have some witty quip to uh, to retort his uh, questions. Oh, it's so funny. You know, obviously they can't tell him about the real aliens, can they? But then, you know, there's the more serious side of things. You've got um, the speech that Ronald Reagan made at, at the UN where he was talking about um, how if there was an alien attack, it would make his life a lot easier. I couldn't help at one point in my discussions with privately with General Secretary Gorbachev. When you stop to think that we're all God's children, wherever we may live in the world, I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world from some other species from another planet uh, outside in the universe, we'd forget all the little local differences that we have between our countries, and we would find out once and for all that we really are all human beings here on this earth together. Well, I don't suppose we can wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us. But I think that between us, we can bring about that realization. And that clip's a bit of a staple of conspiracy theory. So apology for uh, playing it. Um, that's actually a different one from the ones that the uh, conspiracy theorists often play, but the same sentiment showing, of course, that Reagan actually said this multiple times in multiple speeches. Uh, I don't know if he just you know, had a speechwriter who thought it was a nifty idea or if he was some kind of a UFO nut. Or if he knew something that uh, only presidents get to know about. But uh, he certainly did believe that uh, the message there was somehow inspirational. But it certainly appears that no matter which way you turn, 
you can't swing your dick around without having it hit against some kind of UFO mythology, whether it's coming from movies or music videos or, hey, History Channel seems to be running uh, ancient aliens movies as if that's historical fact now. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to avoid. It's one of those pervasive mythologies that uh, it just it seems to be everywhere sometimes. And I don't know, I wonder if there's a reason for that. It seems like the media will balk at any kind of conspiracy theory, except when it comes to this one. When it comes to the alien conspiracy, they're ready to report on uh, you know, pretty sketchy UFO sightings, people who say they've been abducted by aliens and so on. And not just that, there's a full-on disclosure movement that seems to be very well-funded and uh, thriving, to be honest, uh, and taken very seriously by governments around the world. So does that indicate that somehow there's credibility in the alien mythology? Well, maybe so, but James Corbett of thecorbettreport.com takes a different stance. Why are they not omitting this little idea from the cultural context? Why are they constantly returning to the idea of alien presence, alien cover-up, alien invasion, alien threat? Why is this propounded so often, not just in the news media, but of course also in those cultural entertainment productions that I hope we understand are a, a, the end product of the culture creation industry that has been predictively programming us, again, for decades, generations perhaps, to accept various memes and ideas, including, of course, this idea of alien invasion, alien threat. It's almost as if the billionaire power players at the top of this pyramid are actually connected to an idea to implant this idea of alien invasion in the public consciousness for the purpose of manipulating public opinion. So you might ask, and rightly so, how on earth would the powers that be benefit from having the rest of us believe in aliens? Why would they even care? You know, is it just another distraction of some kind so that they can go on making their money and taking over the world and, you know, having brandies and cigars in back rooms and plotting the demise of the planet? Or, you know, is it something more sinister than that? Is there some purpose behind it? Or maybe you believe the alternative, which is that the government would love to keep this secret because, uh, you know, it, 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 it's something that the population can't handle at this point and it might cause a panic. And uh, yeah, if that's the case, I guess it would make sense that they're trying to keep it secret and they're just failing. Maybe there's just too many sightings, too much evidence, and they just can't keep it hidden anymore. So let's examine that for a second. We've got this very, very large movement at this point, headed by guys like uh, Stephen Greer, if you've heard of him, this Disclosure Project. Uh, and they're having massive forums. They're talking to uh, governments and the UN. Even the term itself, Disclosure, has this built-in implication that there's something to disclose. So the very name of the organization implies the belief that they're trying to eschew. So it's obvious they're trying to convince us of something, but what exactly are they saying? The story they're trying to sell to us 
is that the governments of the world already know about alien contact and have for probably many generations, and that they're hiding it from the public to keep us safe, to stop us from panicking. And the problem that I have with that story is that it assumes that the powers that be are actually in power to serve us, the regular people. But while you might support government as a concept, I think most of us can agree that governments aren't really motivated by altruism as such. They're motivated by being able to stay in power, um, by being able to control wealth and that kind of stuff. So explain to me again what their motivation would be to keep alien contract a secret. If all they're trying to do is stay in power and keep the machine going, wouldn't the disclosure of alien contact work to their benefit? If you think about the story itself, what psychological effect does it have on people? Well, it's, it's probably going to make you pretty scared. The aliens might be a threat. And a scared population is a population who needs government structures to protect them. So if the government knew that there was this alien threat, wouldn't they just disclose it immediately? Wouldn't they be yelling it from the fucking rooftops? Why would they keep it a secret when it does nothing but benefit them in the long run? So I guess I just don't buy it. And either does James Corbett. In his video, he points to the Orson Welles broadcast of War of the Worlds in 1938 and makes a really interesting point about it. Orson Welles, War of the Worlds. Never before had a radio broadcast provoked such outrage or such chaos. Upwards of a million people convinced, if only briefly, that the United States was being laid waste by alien invaders and a nation left to wonder how they possibly could have been so gullible. Just north of Grover's Mill, some 20 families turned up at a police station with all of their household possessions piled into their cars. In Indianapolis, a woman rushed to the pulpit in a Methodist church, shouting that the end of the world had come. And in Washington state, a spectacularly ill-timed power failure plunged the small town of concrete into darkness and sent terrified residents fleeing into the mountains. The battle which took place tonight at Grove of Mills has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army in modern times. 7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns hit it against the single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. Here is a special bullet in New York. So you've probably heard about that broadcast before. I, I think we were told about it in high school as an example of how the media could potentially manipulate the population. Uh, so it's pretty famous. And uh, yeah, if you haven't heard of it, it's a real thing. 1938, they broadcast a radio play uh, as if it was a real thing happening. And you can imagine in 1938, when people weren't quite as media savvy as perhaps we are now, although you might argue that's not the case. But a radio play like this might have pretty serious consequences. In fact, you might even say it was quite irresponsible to broadcast this. So why would they do it? Why take the risk? You may argue, well, back then people weren't litigious, but no one wants riots in the streets. No one wants 
people going out into their backyard and shooting down aircraft thinking it's a UFO. Surely you'd have to be a complete psychopath to think about this and then go through with it. And James Corbett makes the argument in his video that it's some kind of experiment in mass manipulation. But surely that's a bit of a stretch, right? Even if you were able to design such an experiment and had the balls to carry it out, you're not really getting any data, are you? All you're seeing is some anecdotal evidence of chaos. You're not really learning anything about how gullible the population is, or are you? When the Princeton venture commenced, another trained psychologist close to Rockefeller, CBS Director of Research Frank Stanton, was named PRP lead researcher, but took a secondary role of associate director due to his position at his broadcast network. At this time, Austrian emigre social scientist Paul Lazarsfeld was recruited to join Cantrell. Thus, Cantrell, Stanton, and Lazarsfeld were closely affiliated and ideally positioned to embark on a major study involving public opinion and persuasion. The opportunity for such an analysis presented itself when CBS broadcast Orson Welles' rendering of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds on October 30, 1938. Lazarsfeld saw the event as especially noteworthy and immediately asked Stanton for CBS funds to investigate reaction to what at the time was the largest immediate act of mass persuasion in human history. Over the next several months, interviews with War of the Worlds listeners was collected, provided to Stanton at CBS, and subsequently analyzed in Cantrell's 1940 study, The Invasion from Mars, a study in the psychology of panic. All right, well, there's your data, so... I guess it's quite possible that the War of the Worlds broadcast was a study of some kind or was allowed to be done as a study of some kind. And I just find this interesting because to me, the alien abduction, uh, UFO phenomenon has never really made sense. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's one of those conspiracy theories that uh, it's fun to research and look into. But at the end of the day, there's so many sort of large flaws in the concept that it's not something you can buy into easily. I mean, in a world where you can download a photo of Jennifer Lawrence's vagina, and you can, because I've done it and uh, regretted it, why is there not one good, clear, definitive photo of a UFO? And yes, I suppose you could argue that Jennifer Lawrence's vagina is a UFO. Um, it's not usually flying, but you can imagine it would. There's so many grainy, black and white, blotchy little, you know, specks of dust on a piece of film types of photos out there. Surely there's going to be one that's demonstrably genuine. And it's just not the case. You look through, you know, pages and pages of these things. And the people who believe in them go, well, you know, of course, the majority of them are hoaxes, but there's these three that I think are real or something like that. And I, I just don't buy it. I, I think there would be a plethora of genuine photos of UFOs if indeed they were in the skies so frequently and just flying around and talking to our governments and having meetings and landing behind um, mountains with cut off tops. No, sorry, that's Close Encounters of the Third Kind, isn't it? That's not actually reality. But I guess that goes to the point that uh, we're kind of brainwashed with these 
alien invasion concepts. And I don't know if you've noticed uh, the same thing that I have, but in the past maybe 10 years or so, maybe even less than that, the narrative that we've been given has actually shifted somewhat. It used to be all about the alien attack and you know just the possibility of aliens and the likelihood they could make contact and what that would be like. And it shifted with the movie Prometheus, I guess, or at least that was the first time I came across this, where it was talking more about the aliens seeding humanity in some way. And of course, from that, you'll get the religious argument that there's some kind of agenda against Christianity or the concept of God or just spirituality in general. And that may be the case, I guess. Um, you don't need to convince me there's no God. I, I would prefer to believe there's no God and no aliens, but really I have no purpose for either of those particular myths. I get the argument, but whether aliens seeded humanity or it's some mystical God, really what's the difference? They're both pretty wacky ideas either way, right? And just because one happens to be supported by the book that you like the best, that doesn't mean that your theory is really any more worthy of being defended. And to me, God's just a definition. It could be an alien. It could be just energy, nature, uh, the universe and the forces and the rules that govern it. That's your God. It's not a man with a beard in the sky. And it's probably not Prometheus either. But the idea that aliens seeded humanity is plausible enough. There's really no reason why not. We had to come from somewhere. The theory of evolution is a fairly plausible way to cover how we sprung out of nowhere as well. But we are kind of freakish. And I think uh, that idea appeals to people because, again, it makes humanity a special species. All the other animals were, you know, created by evolution. They're just a lower form of life. We were spawned by aliens. So we're way more intelligent and sentient. And so what if we can't even walk out in the sunlight for five minutes without getting a sunburn? We're definitely uh, king of the planet, at least. And if we're seated by aliens, yeah, I guess we are a little bit special, aren't we? That's that's a nice idea, isn't it? Even though at the same time, it means that there's some superior race out there who can actually get to this planet who may or may not be proud of us. And to be honest, I've got enough issues with my own father trying to make him proud uh, without the need to actually make some alien species proud of me as well. So, you know, that's just another headache I don't need. Even so, you've got shows uh, like Ancient Aliens on the History Channel pushing this agenda, and these are well-funded shows. So someone with money is trying to push this agenda. Because let's face it, the idea of the ancient aliens is pretty far-fetched. I mean, it's saying, oh, well, we just got all, all of history wrong. Everything was wrong. Sorry about that. Um, turns out that, uh, that the Egyptians had um, you know, cutting tools that were far more advanced than what we have now. So it must have been alien technology. And yeah, I get the technology angle. Don't get me wrong. I mean, why did we have wireless television before we had wired television? But then when it comes to internet, wireless internet is an innovation. But I'm willing to accept that. You know, the process of invention is kind of chaotic. And uh, I'm not across all of technology, believe it or not. There are some things I don't understand. 
But all this wackiness aside, there's something that I do worry about. And it's not just that we're being in some way conditioned to accept the idea of an alien invasion or anything like that. It's more what could possibly be behind that. And if you're into conspiracy theory, you might have run across the idea of Project Bluebeam, which is supposedly a government program to invent technology that can create holographic illusions. And two of the things that they're apparently going to be doing with this technology, if they can invent it, is one, create a illusion of the second coming of Christ, or at least to do that for Christian nations and, of course, whatever other deities are applicable to other nations, and slash or, it's a bit unclear in the conspiracy, um, create the illusion of an alien invasion. So what if all of this conditioning and all of these ideas being disseminated and brought into the collective consciousness are just behind the idea of faking this alien invasion? What if the alien invasion, when it comes, is going to be used as, say, a disaster like 9-11 was to change the paradigm, to get us to accept things that perhaps we normally wouldn't accept? And yes, the blue beam thing is uh, a very tenuous conspiracy theory, but the logic of it is quite scary because when you think about things that would drastically change society, an alien invasion is one of those things, as Ronald Reagan said, that would actually do that. You can imagine it actually working. So we've had a bit of fun poking around conspiracy theories with UFOs, and to me it's a pretty light, interesting topic. But if one day you come outside onto your balcony and you look up and there's a whole bunch of UFOs shooting lasers in the sky, just take it with a grain of salt because it's probably the Illuminati trying to deceive you. (laughs) 